0: Open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and in case you didn't get one or didn't see them out there, we do have the 1 Corinthians scripture journals out in the Welcome Center. We provide these for you so that you could make notes and um, read ahead or make whatever kind of notes you want. So if you'd like them, they're out in the Welcome Center. Let's ask God's help as we... Seek Him now for His wisdom and His grace as we begin a new journey through another book of the Bible. Father, help us now and open up our eyes as we look to this beautiful letter, convicting letter, and sometimes awkward letter of 1 Corinthians. Father, we need Your help as we go through it. And Lord, that You would accomplish all Your purpose in us, Here at the Church of God in Northwest Bradenton, Lord, that you would help us to know what you were saying to the Church of God in Corinth, and God, help us to glean from wisdom that Paul gave them and to learn who we are and what we ought to do. Pray that you would sanctify us and save those who have yet believed, who have not yet believed. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we began a brand new series in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Obviously, verse 1 tells us from the very first word who wrote it, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes. When we did the book of Acts, I like to hear you say that name, Sosthenes, if you remember that. So, Sosthenes, it's just a cool name. Um... So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church in the city of Corinth. Now, to understand, I think, the background of what Paul is dealing with here, I think we have to understand a little bit more about the Corinthians, what they went through, what their culture was like, and a little bit of the history of the, of the city of Corinth. Corinth is in southern Greece. And here's a map I'm gonna, we're going to put up here. Um, in case you don't know where Corinth is, right there in, towards the middle of the map there, southern Greece. Corinth was a city that was taken over by the Romans and made into a colony for Julius Caesar in the year 44 BC. When Paul was writing this letter, it's estimated that there's somewhere between 100 to 200,000 people living in Corinth. It was a very big city, especially for that day. And if you're going to have that many people living in that area concentrated, it's going to mean that the economy is going to have to provide for that many people or have favorable conditions. And indeed, it was. Corinth was a very rich city, it was a beautiful city. The architecture was gorgeous, and the economy was very influential. It was a very commercial city, it was a place that promised financial wealth and opportunity. And one of the reasons for this is its location was ideal for the economic growth and the prosperity. You'll see that Corinth is located on an isthmus, which is basically a piece of land that connects two larger bodies of land. And here's Corinth right in the middle of this land-connecting piece of real estate that connects southern Greece from northern Greece. And it was a place where had many, many visitors and traffic. There, It was a major trade route from the north to the south. And if you were going from, for example, Athens to Sparta, which is in the southern tip of Greece, you would have to go through Corinth. And so people visited from Corinth from all sorts of different places. Um, also, if you were going from Rome to this part of the world, instead of sailing to the southern part of Greece down towards Crete, they would cut just north of Corinth through that little... canal there called the Corinthian Canal, and they would go right through there and cut there because it was much safer and a lot more um, concentrated areas of population in case you needed help. And so because of that, Corinth saw so many different types of people. Also, with all these many different types of people coming from all around the world, you could expect a lot of sin A lot of different cultures colliding, and Corinth was famous for being a city rampant with sexual promiscuity. People might have had a similar expression for Corinth back then, maybe like they have of Las Vegas today. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, and probably Sin City would have been a very appropriate title for the city of Corinth. So just to let you know what we're talking about here We're talking about a very big, influential, populated, sinful city. It was not only sinful, but it was also very religious. Corinth was a very idolatrous and pluralistic city. Let's go back to verse 1 as we consider these things of where they are. It was an idolatrous and pluralistic city, meaning it was a city full of worship and idols in Corinth, you just didn't worship one god. You worshipped anyone you wanted, and as many gods as you wanted. In fact, in Corinth, you would have found temples dedicated to the Greek and Roman gods Apollo, Epaphrodite, Poseidon, as well as other many other gods. And archaeologists have dug up the remains of the city, and some of these buildings, the foundations are still there. It's really amazing. And of course, being an imperial city, a Roman colony, it would have had a lot of imperial cult worship happening there too, meaning they worshiped Caesar as God. So right away, you could see how Christianity and the gospel would have a magnificent collision with the culture of Corinth. Because Christianity says that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only truth. And He's the only life. And the way to the Father is only through Him. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who is a Jew and was the Messiah, has now risen from the dead. And all these other gods are false and fake. And if you worship them, you will suffer the wrath of God. You'll understand that that kind of thinking just wasn't very popular in the city of Corinth where they had a temple for just about everything and you could do what you want and sin any way you wanted to. And here comes Paul preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling sinners to repentance and a church is formed. And Paul founded the church of Corinth during his second missionary journey. We did the book of Acts a year ago And we probably preached through Acts 18 about a year, year and a half ago. Something like that. And Acts 18 verses 1 through 11. You see Paul's encounter when he first gets to Corinth. And what did Paul do? He goes to Corinth. He meets a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Who were also tent makers. They live there. They're from Italy. But here they are been dispersed from Rome. Underneath the persecution that came from the Jews. They land in Corinth. They're selling tents. Paul is also a tent maker and he built a relationship with them and then starts sharing the gospel in the synagogue. He goes to the Jew first and he starts preaching Christ from the beginning. Eventually, the leader of that synagogue, a man named Crispus, we're told in Acts chapter 18, becomes a believer in Jesus and he receives the gospel in Paul's teaching. And Paul wasn't planning on staying there very long. But, Luke tells us in Acts 18 that he winds up staying 18 months. And the church of Corinth was born. And eventually Paul had to leave because of unrest and persecution that was growing against him and the church. And he goes to Ephesus to continue his journey. The letter of 1 Corinthians happens after all that. Paul's there for a year and a half and he leaves... And Paul's just not going to let them or forget about them. He cares about them deeply. These are all new believers. And he's trying to train them up in the faith and what they ought to do. And to say that the Corinthian church was a problem church is to put it lightly. Because in this letter, Paul deals with all sorts of issues and sin in the church. For example, there was internal divisions. There was internal cliques. There was sexual immorality, idolatry. People would get, would get drunk during the Lord's Supper. They weren't drinking grape juice, I'll tell you that. They, were, they had crazy, out-of-control worship services where people were speaking in tongues and no one had an interpreter and no one knew what was going on, and it was chaos. And they even had trouble with the resurrection and denying a future resurrection. So they ask Paul some questions about doctrine, but then Paul also takes the opportunity to say, what are you doing? And that's the letter of 1 Corinthians. That's what we're going to be looking at. Paul's going to be talking about sex and marriage and worship and tongues and spiritual gifts and church discipline and defending his apostleship. It goes everywhere. We're going to cover so many different topics in this book It's going to be really really great and you're probably wondering how long are we going to be in first corinthians why are you chuckling it's going to be a while i'm just going to tell you right now all right today we're maybe going to make it through verse three i don't know and there's there's a lot of chapters in here so but what's the rush right what's the worst thing that comes back jesus comes back and we don't finish i mean we'll finish it up there okay So we're going to work our way like we do, phrase by phrase, word by word, verse by verse, just extracting the meaning from this text to see what we have, what God wants us to know. So let's look at verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. From the very, very beginning, Paul establishes his authority in writing this letter. They already know Paul. Paul was there for a year and a half. But Paul begins because he's a no, he knows that he's about to lay the smack down on them. He knows that some people in the church are questioning his authority. Some people are wanting to line up with Apollos. And some people are saying, we don't need Apollos or Paul. We just need Jesus. And Paul's going to address that here later in chapter 1. But he's addressing his authority from the very beginning so that everybody knows where his authority comes from. Paul says that he is an apostle. What is an apostle? Well, the word literally means one sent on a mission, right? That's what the word means. Now, in reality, all Christians are sent on a mission, right? We all have been tasked with fulfilling the great commission of Jesus. But an apostle is a is an office of the church in the first century, was a person who had been given direct authority from God. They were chosen by God for a specific task. In order to be apostle, the Bible tells us, you first have had to have witnessed the resurrection. You have had to have seen the Lord Jesus with your eyes in his resurrected form. You've had to spend time with Jesus. You've had to learn from Jesus. And the Lord Jesus would have to have told you to go do something. Paul is saying that he is an apostle according to the will of God. He was called to be an apostle by the will of God. From the beginning, he's saying, I didn't choose this. This is not a career path I thought I was going to set out on my life. Remember when Paul got this call, what happened? He was on his way to Syria on the Damascus Road to persecute the church. Paul says, this is not what I wanted. But you know what? I met the risen Christ. And he gave me a mission. And he has given me authority to speak to you, to start churches, and to train you in the ways of Christ. So from the beginning, he says, listen, I didn't choose this. God called me with this authority and this mission to speak to you authoritatively. The word called there means to summon. This is what Paul says. God called me. He summoned me. Come here, Paul. Right? He come here. And in fact, Paul didn't want this originally. But when he saw the resurrected Jesus what else could he do? His response to him was, Lord, what would you have me do now? What do you want me to do now, Lord? Paul is saying, remember who I am. Remember where my authority comes from. The things I'm speaking to you today is because the Lord Jesus has commanded me to speak these things to you. I have the right to tell you these things and call you out because the king has sent me. I'm just a messenger of the king. And therefore, an apostle is a an appointed representative that's been given authority from God to speak for God and order God's church, and they only existed in the first century. Now, there are some people who call themselves apostles today, don't believe them. They're self-appointed apostles. Biblical apostles are only first century. They have had to see the risen Jesus with their eyes, and to be tasked with that mission from him directly. But Paul says, I'm writing this letter to you. I've, God has called me to be an apostle by his will. And by the way, I'm writing also with our brother Sosthenes. Now who is Sosthenes? It is more than likely that Sosthenes is the same man mentioned in Acts 18. When Paul was in Corinth, there was a man in the synagogue who was then the leader of the synagogue because Crispus became a believer. Sosthenes was the leader of the Jewish synagogue. What happened is they tried to raise a persecution against Paul. They brought him to trial at the Bema seat in Corinth to kick him out or to put him in jail or to kill him. They go before the council and the Corinthian council says, why'd you bring them here? You're wasting our time. This is a squabble of religious differences. You guys work it out. He didn't commit any crime. Go your way. Well, the Jews were so upset about that and they had to take their anger out on somebody. So you know what they did? They took it out on their own leader who was Sosthenes. Sosthenes in Acts 18 is not a believer He's one of the guys who's trying to put Paul in jail. And now Paul's writing and he says, what? I'm writing this letter. I'm Paul. And guess who's writing it with me? Sosthenes. The guy who tried to have Paul put in jail is now a Christian. Something has happened to Sosthenes. Probably after he got beat up. He said, you know what? Maybe I better rethink this Jesus thing. Paul, tell me more about Christ. And now Sosthenes is more than likely writing down Paul's letter. This is why Paul addresses him in the beginning. Sosthenes was probably um, copying down the words as Paul said them to him. He is dictating them to Sosthenes and he's writing them down. The power of the gospel can here change the apostle Paul on his way to kill Christians. And now the power of the gospel can also change the man who tried to kill Paul by also converting him by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, who now is a partner with Paul. I mean, who else but God can write a story like that? It's really, really incredible. Paul also mentions him. Why? Because Sosthenes, these people would have known. He's a leader of the Jewish synagogue, or was at the time, in Corinth. I'm writing this letter to establish my authority. I am called an apostle by the will of God, and also someone else you know. Someone who was against me, but now is what? With me and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Essentially, he's saying, if you have a problem with me, because some of you people who do have a problem with me, then take it up with God. Because God's the one who sent me to tell you these things. Look at verse 2. He's writing this letter. And this is different from the way we write letters. Where we say who wrote it at the end. Right? Sincerely, or in Christ, or whatever. First century, they put the, the who wrote the letter first. So this is very typical of a letter of that day. In verse two, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So important, you can see the heart of Paul and what Paul thought of the church right away. Paul is the one who founded the church in Corinth and spent a year and a half discipling those people. But he knows he doesn't own it. The church of Corinth doesn't belong to him. These people don't belong to Paul. He's not speaking to them because they're his church. What does he say? To the church of God. These people do not belong to me. I'm an apostle of God. And you are the church of God. Instantly, from the beginning, again, we see authority. The Corinthian church is the church of God. The church doesn't belong to any church member. The church doesn't belong to any deacon or elder, but to God. Why? Because He has purchased us with His own blood. We belong to Him. Amen? He has redeemed us. We are His bride. We are His flock his family. Jesus is the head of the church, and Paul knows it. Paul knows it. To the church of God that is in Corinth. And then he gets a little bit more specific, not only to the church of God in Corinth, define that a little bit more, Paul. Who is the church of God? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul is defining here what? Who makes up the church? I mean, if any, if, is the church just made up of people who show up? Is that what church is? Is it any different than a baseball game? Hey, we're all fans here. We're all showing up at the game. No, a church is something much more definitive than who shows up or what happens up here. The church is much more different than that, and it consists of those who are being sanctified. What is Sanctification. Sanctification is what happens to every believer after they become a Christian. Sanctification is the process of growing in your faith and becoming holy or Christ-like. God saved you by His grace, but then He doesn't leave you in that same condition. The goal of your life, the aim of your life, is to become like Jesus. And God transforms us. He makes us holy through the power of the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word, in our lives. And so he's writing to the church of God. To those who are being sanctified. It is God who began this good work in you Corinthians. He saved you. But he isn't done with you yet. In fact if you're still here. He's not done with any of you yet. Right? In a sense we could say we are all what? A work in progress. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 10 seconds or 80 years. You are a work In progress. If you are still alive. If your heart is still beating. God is doing a work in your heart. He is growing you. Stretching you. Maturing you. Sanctifying you. Until you look like Jesus. And that won't happen until you either die. Or he comes back and you see him. And you're glorified. That's what the Christian life is. And who is the church Paul? It's those who are being sanctified. So the church Consists of Christians, those who are born again, regenerated by the Spirit of God. Not just who shows up, or who gives money, or who serves. It's those true believers who belong to that church. And listen to this. To those who are sanctified. And then Paul says this. Those people are called to be saints. Now, very interesting here. Paul uses the same word here. Of these believers, as he does to refer to himself as an apostle. God called me by his will to be an apostle. And guess what, Corinthians? In the same way that God called me to be an apostle, he has called you to be his saints. God has called you to be holy, to be sanctified, to be a Christian. In other words, who are the sanctified? They're saints. Yes, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. And you say, Dan, do you really know me? I know some of you. And it's still true. (laughs) This is what the Bible says. Why? Because when we become a Christian, when God saves us and gives us his Holy Spirit and gives us a new nature, we are positionally in Christ and therefore seen by God to be in Jesus and therefore holy. Even though we're not all we ought to be, right now in this minute, God looks at us as righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, the word saint literally means holy ones. A saint is not somebody who lived a super-Christian life and was honored by the church or recognized by the church. No. All saints True believers are saints. Not because of what you do for God, but because of what God has done in you. That's what makes you a saint. It's God's grace, God's work in you. But listen to this. Here Paul goes to this wicked city. Sexual promiscuity, idolatry, drunkenness, revilers. All this stuff going on. And he says, God called you in this wicked city to be his saints. Paul is acknowledging, again, the power of the gospel, the authority of the gospel to do a mighty work in the worst of people. And the Corinthian people were just of that sort. He has called you. He has summoned you. Yes, God summons believers to himself. God summons sinners to salvation. There isn't anybody who is a true believer, who is a Christian, who has the Holy Spirit, who God has not summoned you to believe. The day that you believed, it's because you heard the call of God by His Holy Spirit convicting you in your heart to draw you to Himself. You may think that You picked up the phone and called God and said, God, I want to be saved. But what you didn't realize is that God's already calling you. And when you believe, when you put your faith in Jesus, it's not because you reached out to God and say, hey, will you have me? It's because God is commanding you to come to him and answering that. God has summoned you. He has called you to be a saint. These Corinthian believers would never have chosen God apart from the power of the gospel. But here is Paul. Just like he called me to be an apostle when I was on my way to kill his people. He has called you who were under his wrath and judgment. You who lived in such sinful lives. He called you to be trophies of his grace. This was set in motion before time began. Salvation is realized when sinners call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. This is what Paul tells the Romans. In Romans chapter 10, 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You are answering his call. God always takes the initiative to save the sinner. It's never the sinner that takes the initiative that calls unto God. God started the church in Corinth. It really wasn't Paul. It was God. It was God who sent His Son to die for these people. It was God who sent His Son to die on that cross. It was God who appointed Paul and his team to go in, boldly proclaiming Christ even in the face of persecution. And those who believed heard the call, received the call, and became children of God. Just like Lazarus heard the voice of Jesus Here's Lazarus in John chapter 11, dead in the tomb. No life, no desires, no ability to live, no cravings, nothing. But when he hears the call of Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus heard the call even though he was dead. And he came out of that grave to the voice of his Savior. And just like you. Think back to the day that you were saved. You may say, Dan, I didn't hear a voice. Good, nobody does. But listen, your heart, all of a sudden, which was dead and darkened and couldn't understand the glory of the gospel, all of a sudden realizes in that moment the blinders go off, your ears are unplugged, your mind is freed, the shackles are undone, where you say, listen, I'm going to hell, and unless I believe in Jesus who died for me and repent of my sin, I cannot be saved. And I want to do that right now. Your heart is answering the grace of God and the call of God. And is God who calls sinners to himself. We see this throughout the New Testament. For example, John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says to the crowd who had just fed up to the 5,000. He said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. What is the drawing of God? It's the call of God upon sinners to be saved. In Romans chapter 8, 30, Paul says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Salvation begins with God predestining before time begins. And then he calls those whom he has predestined. Paul says to to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2, To this he called you. Through our gospel. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Timothy 1.9. Paul tells to Timothy. That Jesus who saved us. And called us. To a holy calling. Not because of our works. But because of his own purpose and grace. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Before the ages began. What's Paul doing here? Let's. Go all the way to the top. Who sent me to you? God. And who called you to believe in him? God. So let's just get on equal footing here and know that the reason you're here and the reason I'm here, Paul says to them, is because God who sent me to tell you has also is the same God who called you to believe. To a holy calling, which I believe is the same thing Paul says here. Look at verse 1 or verse 2. Called to be saints. There's that word again. God has called you to be holy. You who are sinful, wicked people. God has called you to repent, to live in obedience to him. Amazing. Amazing. These Corinthians, they, they were not a bunch of holy rollers, they were not a bunch of moral people who would never been in trouble in their life. They were wicked people. And in case you think that there's no hope for some, I mean, do you feel like that sometimes? You've got family members, you've got neighbors or co-workers, and you're like, man, there's no hope for that person. Think again. Because you want to know who the First Corinthians are? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. We'll get to here in probably a year from now, maybe. I don't know. He says to them, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to this, verse 11. And such were some of you. Whoa. This is who the Corinthians were. Look at this list. Thieves, greedy, drunks, revilers, swindlers, crooks, con artists, sexual perverts, idolaters, homosexuals, adulterers. And such were... You're no longer those people, you know why? Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. never give up on anybody, never give up on, on some on anybody. you know why? Because these Corinthians such were some of you, and i 'm I don't know everybody here, I don't know everyone's history or past, but you know what? If Paul is writing a letter to us, it'd be interesting what he would say. <laughs> but the one thing he could say the same thing as to us as he did to the Corinthian is this, and such were some of you. Aren't you glad that he didn't say and such are some of you? No. Why? Because the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The gospel is the power to transform a wicked heart in rebellion to God, to transform their lives, to live a life pleasing to God. Paul knows because he was one. He was one who hated Christ. But all of this comes from what? The call of God. God has called me to be an apostle. God has called you to be saints. It always goes back to God. But has God left us all by our lonesome? No. Look at the next word. God has called you saints to be, called to be saints together. Called to be saints Together. Oh, that word is so great. No, God has not left you by your lonesome. God has not called you to be a saint by yourself. God has not saved you so you could live your Christian life in isolation. No, no, no. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There is no such thing as just me and Jesus taking a walk on the beach and that's my church. No. When God calls you to himself to believe, he gives you a family. He gives you a church. And this is what Paul is telling them. You guys who God has had grace on from all walks of different life, think about what he's doing in this city of 200,000 people. He has called you to be saints together. This is what the church is. It's people who follow the risen Christ who love his word who believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus to be together and to walk as saints together to live holy together and this is the statement that these that this church was making when they gathered on the Lord's day when we gather on the Lord's day today sunday we make a public statement to our city and to our world we make a statement that Christ is risen from the dead that we belong to the king and we also belong to the people who also belong to the king. We are not individuals by ourselves. And I don't need anybody else. That is a lie from the pits of hell. The church is essential. And if you don't believe it, come watch the movie on July 23rd. The church is essential. We make a statement when we gather together on Sunday because the church it's not about you. The church is not about me. The church is about being called together as saints. Together. I am not the church. You are not the church. We are the church together. Who are we? We're people whom the, whom the grace of God has reached. From all different parts of life, from all different lifestyles, from all different pasts, from all different cultures, and God has brought us in this room, when we gather in the Lord's day, to be together. This is why we gather. We don't gather to entertain you. We gather to worship the king and to obey the king and say, "This is what the word of our king has said." And now, we need to be saints. We need to live like saints. We need to obey him as he transforms us and makes us holy. And this is, why, this is why the church matters. This is why belonging to a church matters. Church membership matters. Why? Because when you join a local church, it's not about voting. It's not about doing any of that. Joining a local church says, I'm a part of these people. These are my people. I'm putting my flag in the ground. These are my people. They belong to me, and I belong to them. Church membership allows you to stop dating churches and marry one. It says that my faith is much bigger than me, and if my king has said to gather and to give my life for the sake of the gospel, I do not do that by myself. I do that with other people who belong to the king. Out of this wicked city, from all different kinds of lifestyles and pasts, but we have the same gospel, the same Jesus, the same cross, the same grace. And everybody needs the same amount that I need. And this is why later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul will address the body of Christ. What is the church essentially? It's the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and we are his body. We are the hands and the feet and the eyes and the nose and the ears and you name it. He goes on to say, and we all come together because we all serve a different purpose within that body. We are all important. We're all essential. Why? Because God has called you here to be together because you are valuable to the body. I'm glad I have a nose. I'm glad I have a knee. I'm glad I have eyeballs. I have no hair. (laughs) But I have a beard. (laughs) My wife didn't like the beard at first. But then when I took off the beard and shaved my head, she said I look like an egg. So (laughs) the beard balances things out. All my hand isn't Dan neither are my ears or my feet individually they are not Dan but when they all come together guess what this is Dan and that's what the church is God has summoned us by grace together my body apart from me Separated from me is not me. This is why coming regularly on the Lord's day matters. Not only has he said it, but think about it. When you miss consistently on Sunday, it's like living through life without an arm or a knee or feet or a nose or a stomach. You name it. You matter and you belong to Christ and you belong to us. And this is how God has ordained it. And this is, he's not called us to be saints individually. He's called us to be saints together. So important. We're going to talk much more about that later. But not only do we belong locally to a body here, But we're also part of a larger body. And this is what he says. We're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both their Lord and ours. Not only do you have a church family here. You've got a church family around the world. Across time. Centuries and centuries of believers in Jesus Christ. Amazing. Amazing. You're called to be saints together. This is the church of God in Corinth, but it's just not the church of God everywhere. It's just the church of God in one location. Like Northwest Baptist Church is the expression of God's, of Christ's body here in Northwest Bradenton. But we're not the all-encompassing church of God everywhere and everyone else is going to hell. No, we're part of a much larger body. There's this universal church. And so let's, let's just wrap this up. What can we take from these first two verses of 1 Corinthians? Again, it all begins with God. Paul's reminding the Corinthians of the authority that he has to speak to them comes from God because he didn't choose this. It's by the will of God. And the fact that they're listening to him is because God has called them to be believers, to be Christians. And now there is a place in Corinth in community, living out their faith, being on mission, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is king, gathering on the Lord's day, taking care of one another, or it should be that way. As we're going to see, they have a lot of issues. A lot of issues. Because there is no Perfect church, right? There is no perfect church. Someone has said, if you're looking for the perfect church, you never find one. And if you do, don't join, because when you do, it will no longer be perfect. (laughs) Because you're there. And this is why the Lord's Day is so important. Because what has God told us in Ephesians chapter 5? Paul makes this beautiful analogy of a husband and wife and Christ in the church, like in this marriage. And what what is the Lord doing for his bride, his church? He is washing her by the water of the word to present to himself a bride without any spot or wrinkle. He is doing his work to make sure that we are presented before the father with all joy. Jesus will never regret saving us, loving us, calling us to himself. Why? Cuz he's doing his work in us, by his spirit, by his word. Together. Look around you. Right? Look around you. Just say, say with me, these are my people. This is who we are together, together. So a couple questions for you and then we're done. If you're not a believer, if you don't know you're a born again Christian, has has he called you yet? Do you know the gospel that Jesus died for you as a substitute bearing your penalty? And wrath upon himself because you sin and I sin. Do you believe that? That you're a sinner who stands before God in judgment. But here's the good news if you believe that Jesus Christ paid it for you and turn from your sins and trust in Him for salvation and call upon Him to be saved, you will be saved. And the fact that those emotions or thoughts are even stirring in your heart is evidence that God may be calling you to himself, summoning you like Lazarus from the tomb. Get out of that grave. Get out of that spiritual death. And receive new life in Christ. For those of you who are a Christian, who are a believer, do you realize who you belong to? Do you realize that God has called you not only to belong to Himself, but to His people? Do you realize that God is in charge of all of our addresses? I mean, I know some of you drive 45 minutes to come here. Some of you drive 45 seconds. But somehow, He's assembling in this church a body. And you belong here to serve Christ as God has intended you to serve him because you matter. And have you taken that next step to actually make that commitment to say, I'm making a commitment, Dan. These are my people. I'm not just going to be floating around from church to church. I'm making a commitment. These are my people. I'm taking that next step. I've not been called to do this alone. I've been called to be a saint together. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, if the gospel can work in a place like Corinth, we have much hope for Bradenton. Oh, God, help us. Lord, I pray for those in this room that may not be a believer. God, would you call them and draw them to yourself so that they would be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for Christians in this room I pray, Lord, for they will understand that what you're doing in their life and in this church, that you are God, you are king. This is your church, no one else's church. You've brought them here for a purpose, for a reason. And all true believers in Christ are part of the body of Christ, and you've given us all spiritual gifts to benefit one another. Lord, help us to utilize and Serve one another in Christ by doing that. I pray, Lord, that there will be some commitments to church membership and to joining publicly, made a commitment, putting our flag in the sand and say, these are my people. I belong here. God, thank you that we're not supposed to do this alone. Thank you for giving us a church family. Oh, God, I'm so thankful for that. As Randall prayed earlier, thank you for our church family. Like Corinth, we all have our issues. Like Corinth, we all, things, we all have things that we need to improve on and reform. And, but Lord, we know you're washing us by the water of the word. Lord, continue to do your work in us through your word and in your people. Thank you for calling Paul to be an apostle and for these Corinthians to be saints. Lord, in the same way, thank you for all those who are in Christ. Thank you, God, that you've called them to believe, to belong together here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a closing hymn together. If I can help you, please see me after the service.